When I was a young boy in elementary school, I remember learning about Japan in about grade two. We talked about individualism versus collectivism, the significance of the Japanese flag, and we finished our studies with a field trip to an authentic Japanese restaurant. Fast forward to adulthood and my knowledge of Japan deepened thanks in part to reports from friends who traveled there and pop culture like Michael Crichton's Rising Sun and Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation. One thing among the many I can't tell you in Japan is what it's like as a Canadian to live there. And that's where we pick things up on this episode of The Expats. Alcantara, formerly an Edmontonian, has lived in Japan for a while now. But it's not like she's been living in the big city of Tokyo. Uh, I'm currently living over in the Izu Peninsula, which is part of Shizuoka Prefecture, which probably means nothing to a lot of people. So I'll give you some reference points. From Tokyo, take the Shinkansen, the bullet train, and a local train is about two hours away. Oh, okay. Going south. And that, that's that's got to be a fair distance because those trains go really fast. I don't know, not not really. Like my, I don't know. My perception of distance and, and places are kind of um, it's changed now, right? So because I've just been for me, I'm like, oh, it's not that far. But to Japanese people, if I tell them, oh yeah, I'll come up to Tokyo, they're like, oh, <laughs> really? It's really out of your way. I'm like, no, it's no problem. Shinkansen it. Yeah, you're right? from you're from Canada. <laughs> Everything's far away. Yeah, everything is far away, and like. You know, this is such a small, compact um, country to live in. So it's, you know, when you order something from Amazon in Canada, it's like, oh, yeah, five to seven business days. <laughs> so it's like two weeks later, you're like, yay, I got my package. And here I'm like, order something. It's like ding dong, like the next day. Convenient. <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing. <laughs> I was just going to say, that can't be the thing that actually brought you to Japan. So, uh why are you uh, Why are you living in Japan right now? So when I was still a high school student over in McNally, I knew I wanted to get out of Canada because yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a smart person. So while everyone in high school was like, "I'll never see you again," I'm like, "You're in the student council. I'm gonna <laughs> see you in university if I don't get out of this country. Like, don't kid yourself, All right?" So. I just wanted to do something different and not just go straight to university and see the same people over again. Not like, you know, I just wanted to do something different. So I applied to scholarships and I got the, like the Rotary Youth Exchange Scholarship. And originally I was going through like this run little run phase with short <laughs> red hair. Do you know that movie? Yeah, I run do. Totally. Run? Yeah. So I was going through this German phase of my life where I was listening to German music and watching Run Lola Run and I'm like I want to see all those places that's in the movie so originally I was going to go to Germany but when I met all the other exchange students that were leaving Canada it's like you know Europe was the popular thing and I thought well I thought my whole idea about leaving the country is to do something different and since everyone's going to Europe 
I'm like, I don't want to go to Europe anymore. <laughs> and I went to my Rotary Club and I said, all right, so what's the least popular country to go to in the world right now? They're like, Japan. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go to Japan. And that's, and that's what began my journey. So I was just going to ask you uh, how long you've actually been in Japan now. Well, now just five years. Like that, that, initial, that initial trip to Japan was a one-year exchange. And that was 2001, 2002. And that's kind of what started my whole, wow, I really love Japan, like the culture. Worked really hard to learn some of the basis of the language during that time. So I'm like, I need to go back. And yeah, I went to university and just with the sole purpose of eventually I'll go back to Japan, work here, and we'll see what happens. So what are you doing? What are you doing for work in Japan? Currently, I just work as an English teacher, like a lot of people. Uh, I believe one of my, like the company I currently work for is one of the best. It's really awesome. Other than that, like trying to network, get into game translations eventually. I have a little thing that's kind of hush-hush because I got accepted as a translator for this particular game country, a game company I'm really interested in, in the U.S. side. But and and just just as a freelance translator, but they don't have any projects for me, and so I applied to the Japanese side, and they're also currently interested. So we'll see what happens. What made you think about uh, game translation? Well, back when I was still in the U of A, I was uh, working as a researcher in the comp sci department because I took a course called like game video game creation and realized, hey, I actually really like this, <laughs> and I have a knack for storytelling and um, analyzing stories and so it just kind of you know put two and two together i like video games i like the language aspect and so i thought eventually i would like to get into localization which is kind of like translation right but yeah so that's kind of how i got into that or how i initially got interested in that field okay now you so you went to japan for a year for school and then you came back so you obviously fell in love with something in that country what is it that brought you back? Like, mm -hmm. tell me about, tell me about the things that you really enjoy about Japan. I think it stems from a general interest in cultural identity. Like growing up, you know, growing up in Canada, you take all your social studies classes and you're like, you're Canadian and this is Canadian history. Um, but still, as I'm growing up in, in, in Canada, right, uh, I still had to kind of pick and choose uh, parts that I like to kind of craft my identity right you know because i'm i'm i look filipino i don't feel culturally filipino at all because i grew up in a neighborhood that was primarily ukrainian <laughs> <laughs> right and so the only time i ever felt different or not canadian i guess was when people are like hey it's cultural day what do you wear for your cultural outfit i'm like a dress maybe <laughs> like but but for christmas what do you eat and i'm like turkey i don't understand the question um so there's there's so there's that aspect right just kind of growing up constructing my own cultural identity of what it means to be me and what what it means to be canadian and then i go to japan where you talk to you know it's a homogeneous culture here so you i talk to any japanese person and there would be like a list of things where they know definitely this is japanese this is not japanese hmm. this is japanese not Japanese. I'm like, oh, 
oh, okay. And then I'll do something and they're like, oh, is that Canadian? I'm like, ah, I think it's just me. I'm not too sure. <laughs> right. And so that, that I think is really interesting. I think that's what attracted me to Japan. It like, it has a very strong sense of cultural identity. And I just, I guess I got attracted to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So, yeah. We often hear about how as Canadians, we, our, our identity isn't is it either not clear or it doesn't exist or we are, our identity is constructed around the idea that we're not American. Oh, I, I do feel in part that if there's one thing uh, I find um, similar, uh, similar to a lot of other Canadians that I meet here is that we define ourselves to what we're not. <laughs> like yeah. We're not American. Uh, we're not violent people or uh things that we don't believe in that is usually associated to america it's like yeah we're not that we don't have a president <laughs> do you find that uh that people are generally curious in japan about where you're from and, and do they ask you a lot of questions about canada sometimes it confuses people <laughs> <laughs> right because um okay here's a funny story that's only happened once Okay, and this is this happened when I first came to to Japan as a student, but it's still one of my favorite stories, right? So again, this is back when you know people are young teenagers like me, so we're kind of dumb. And I remember at some point it's like, oh, you know, so where are you from? Like, you know, very simple Japanese. Dokokarakimashita, and I'm like, Canada karakimashita. Like, I come from Canada, and they're like. Cambodia, <laughs> right? like just because they're looking at me like you, you couldn't have said Canada. Look at you. <laughs> so it's like Cambodia, Canada, and they're like look at me again, like mm, I think something's wrong with their pronunciation. <laughs> so there's there's that, and there's always like the question, like but why do you look like? So I remember um, also when I was. Again, a teenager when people are still a little, you know, a little bit ignorant, right? Where they're like, okay, so where are you from? Oh, I'm from Canada. And I kid you not, just like from Mean Girls, like, why are you not white? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, well, <laughs> um, how do I answer this question? Um, so it's it's interesting when, you know, they go to school and they kind of understand, oh, American Canada, hodgepodge of multiculturalism. And then when they're actually faced with it, it's a, I think it's kind of like an interesting cultural exchange. We're like, so your parents are Filipino. Yes, but you don't speak Filipino. No, but you eat the food. You some. Do you practice? No, don't. I don't know any of the traditions really. Uh, so, like, it's it's a lot of those kind of questions, and they get really interested when I show them pictures of, like, when I was in high school, and I show them pictures of my friends, where, you know, there's me, and then it's like, yeah, there's also Caucasian people, Asian people, Indian people, and like, wow, and they all speak English, and like, <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say, I guess it's kind of weird for for. Like if you don't live in a culture like can like the one we have in Canada in Edmonton, uh, you just your expectations for for what things are like are so different. Like I mean, I I guess they could you know some Japanese people could understand that we're the cultural mosaic as an abstraction, but like what you yeah. to your point when they're actually faced with it, it's it's just totally outside of their typical experience. I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
right? Or uh, I do speak fairly, or I speak Japanese fairly well. And so there's the assumption as well when I tell them, oh, by the way, I'm married. And they're like, oh, so you, you know, you have a Japanese husband. I'm like, actually, no, he's like <laughs> white as Wonder Bread. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, can't, he can't really speak Japanese either. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, but I mean, but the thing is, though, the, uh, I mean, sometimes when they make those assumptions, it is because, you know, uh, there is a certain stereotype that exists here. And it's, they assume part of it is true, right? Because to a point, it is true. Like, there are a lot of foreigners that come here who are Caucasian, and they'll marry someone who's Japanese. And because of that, uh, you know, it's, you know, communication is necessary. They're their fluency becomes much, much better, right? Yeah. But then even just the idea where it's like, no, I actually work hard for, for this, for this ability. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is really around, because it sounds like you really, you love Japan, you're happy to be there. And most of the expats I talk to are very pleased with where they are. What is, is there anything that you miss yeah. about Canada? I did, but I fixed that problem. Okay. Uh, I mean, besides, besides friends and family and you know just um canadian bacon well not canadian bacon not not the back bacon but what we typically know as bacon so i'm i'm sure wade mentioned it to you i make my own bacon that's how i solved it <laughs> so okay so tell me about how, how do you go about making your own bacon in japan okay so you need pork belly uh salt pepper spices that you want and most uh, a little bit of sugar most importantly uh celery because celery uh has uh, naturally has a lot of nitrates and that's what uh you know begins the curing process put it all into a bag zip it up seven days flip it over after that like soak it dry it boom bacon in a week holy cow that sounds so, amazing yeah that's the quick version <laughs> do you uh do your friends in japan yeah. do you feed your friends in japan your your canadianized bacon ever um yeah yeah like i mean if people ask um then i'll be like oh yeah this is bacon and they're like it's just amazing <laughs> like it's not like this dry weird piece of bacon that we have here <laughs> um yeah yeah like i tell them like this is the because sometimes i remember telling people that i miss bacon and then they look at me like we have bacon here in japan and i'm like no that's not bacon that's like some weird strange tastes like chicken breast kind of weird thing and, <laughs> and when i actually let them taste bacon they're like this is amazing no wonder north americans love bacon <laughs> i'm like yes it's a wonderful thing you've solved a you've solved a cultural mystery for for japanese people um have you had any experiences in japan where because i've had some friends who've traveled through there and uh, they'll go, they'll try, they've, they tried to go into a couple of restaurants that said like, no, no foreigners. Have you had any experiences with that kind of thing? Actually, no. Like in, in my five years here, I've never actually experienced like any signs or anyone saying, sorry, you're not allowed to be here. But I don't know, like, um, I, I don't know if that's also because like, I, I look, I'm, I'm obviously Asian looking, mm -hmm. right? I can kind of blend right in, even though I look a little different, but sometimes they'll assume I'm half. But yeah, I've never experienced like no foreigners allowed, but um, I've I've only heard of stories, so I can't really speak for it myself. Like I can only assume because I mean, Japanese people 
want to take care of you 110 percent hmm. right like and so i can only assume if they said no foreigners it's not like they're be, be, be they're being rude it's more like they feel that they are inadequately prepared to take care of you the way that they feel that they should and so they're probably it's like it's probably easier just to turn them down and say sorry we don't allow foreigners here right and or who knows like sometimes one bad one really bad experience can just mess it up for everyone else right um like I've had people tell me stories of how it's difficult for them to get um Sutaya here is, is like blockbuster you can rent video so but you need like a little members card right and sometimes people have difficulty getting a little members card and um when I go there and ask them like um you know why 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 is that and they they'll tell me horror stories of where you know clearly it says like don't return your video in this slot and then people trying to jam <laughs> like you know people who are clearly not from Japan but jamming like their DVDs into the slot that, which is closed and chained and <laughs> They're just like, it's just so much trouble or hassle that it's probably easier not to. Or they become more strict, right? But like in my society, I never had any problem. And, but yeah, like sometimes it, unfortunately, sometimes it happens. Like one bad experience can ruin it for everyone else, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what is, what is, can you give me a, an example of maybe one of the weirdest experiences you've had in Japan? Something that was a bit of a culture shock for you? culture shock yeah. um see i'm trying to think if i <laughs> i'm i don't i stop look and listen do you remember that like growing up stop look and listen before yeah. you cross the street yeah um so i tend to just sort of try to blend in as much as i could before i do anything and also i i don't know like i'm i kind of always assume that if i have some sort of quote-unquote negative experience that is mainly because yeah, it's usually those things that they want to really accommodate you and they can't or they don't mean to be rude, but they have um, they don't know any other way to express things. Uh, so I'm trying to think of like any culture shock. I can say I have counter culture shock when I went back to Canada a couple times. But um, well, tell me tell me a little bit uh, about that. <laughs> the first thing I noticed, every country has a different smell. I think it's so it's so clear as soon as you step into a into an airport, right? Where here it's a strange for me. It's like tea, musty, and fish, right? <laughs> like fresh fish. Uh, but when as soon as I step into you know like Edmonton International Airport, it's like crisp pine, right? But not like scented pine car fresheners. But there is a definite like evergreen smell. I'm like. Canada <laughs> right uh, so there's that like when now when I step into another country I I you know stop and smell the roses um but the other one in Canada is uh, like activewear <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I never actually <laughs> noticed how much like the lululemon uh <laughs> you know dressing for comfort like how true that is in Canada, or at least Edmonton, right? Because I don't think I dress up, you know, like I, I would like right now I'm wearing earrings and a sweater, right? And, but like, this is what I would wear every day. But then as soon as I go to Canada, I notice that it's like, wow, there's a lot of sweatpants. <laughs> there's just a lot of sweatpants. <laughs> and like, I, I don't see a lot of sweatpants in Japan, like usually if you're wearing active wear, it's because you really are 
running or you are a very lazy teenager with your matching Hello Kitty outfit and you're just going to the corner store hoping that your friends don't see you. Like that's, like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like what activewear and, and sweatpants is worn here. And, and so I remember going back and I'm like, there's a lot of sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, no plans in the near future to come back to Canada, but what about other parts of the world? Do you, do you, is Japan home now for you? Uh, it really is, especially because I've made some friends here um, where they, they really are family to me. Mm -hmm. um, so there's uh, one of my friends, Brian, um, who works for my company. I indirectly actually set him and his future wife up. <laughs> cool. Who was like my Japanese best friend, Sayaka. So yeah, like, you know, so I kind of introduced the two of them. And then all of a sudden, they just started dating. And then I was part of their wedding. And now they have uh, like a six month year old daughter who I am like the self proclaimed aunt. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, like, I mean, I have people here who I consider family, right? So I mean, we'll see what happens in the future. But I feel very comfortable here. I, I've got a, I've got a couple of, uh, of um myths, I guess, that I, I, I need busting. Um, myth number one. Yeah, you said your husband is, uh, is like whiter than white. So does he get like swarmed by yeah. Japanese people when you guys are in a part of the country that you don't know a lot of people at? Does he sort of get a lot of attention? He does. He does. Because he like if, if I say I'm married to a foreigner or I'm a foreigner, people like the image here is that you're tall, Caucasian, blue eyes, have like a particularly like sharp nose, that okay. sort of thing. And he's all of that. <laughs> <laughs> he's all of that. He's like the quintessential foreigner. What about um, things but, like yeah. uh, used panty vending machines? Is that actually a thing or did someone make that up? Um, I'm pretty sure they existed in the 70s and in the 80s. Okay. Right. And because, I mean, there's vending machines for eggs here. Like I, I live in the countryside. So there's actually a special vending machine where you can take your unrefined rice and they'll process it for you. Like <laughs> there wow. are vending machines for everything. Um, during the winter times, they kind of switch it. So there'll be like hot soup vending machines. Um, so for the panties, I'm pretty sure like they exist in the 70s, 80s. They're not excuse me, they're not that common. But if you are hunting for it, I'm sure you'll find it like in Akihabara or somewhere else. One last uh, myth. Are, are Japanese people really very fond of karaoke? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> uh, for the most part, for the most part, most Japanese people love karaoke. And I love karaoke back with them one last one final question then the sort of stereotypical uh, shy reserved japanese person is that is that is that a truism is that something that you run into a lot with uh, with japanese people particularly i would assume ones that you don't necessarily know well i don't know i think it's it's like meeting someone for the first time you always want to put your best foot forward right so i think it's just stronger here in japan right where it's kind of like if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And sometimes people would be like that, right? Like when I meet 
I'm pretty upfront, right? So, I mean, if I like someone, you'll know it. And if I don't like someone, you'll also know it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, usually what I find, if someone likes you, you'll see them again. They're very friendly. And then they'll invite you out to an izakaya, which is like a Japanese-style bar. And then they'll really let themselves go. And then you'll see like the crazy, you know, like outside the company and how they actually act in real life or like really personal stories. But then if they don't really like you, it's going to be, it's going to stay just in the company or, you know, you see them in the, you know, you just see them somewhere in the neighborhood and you just say hello. I think it's like a lot of people think that Oh, Japanese people—they're so mysterious. I don't understand. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I really think that it's normal human relations. That maybe it's a little bit stronger here,、mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, they still want to make sure that if you meet them and you don't like them, but you have to work with them. You still need to be friendly. You still need to find some sort of common ground. And so you'll only see them at work, or you'll only see them when you have to. But yeah, they, they they do have a name for it in in Japan, right? It's called a、uh, honne and tatemae, and tatemae means kind of like your outward appearance or how you appear to everyone else, and your honne is how you really are. The ego and the id—two concepts that live both in North America and Japan, but which each area puts a slightly different twist on, which was thankfully clarified by Anna Alcantara. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info@expatspodcast.ca, or send me an email yourself, and let's create this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. <laughs>